0: I'm Laura Marsh, a field biologist and avid conservationist. I know firsthand that finding wildlife work is tough. You're often underpaid, undervalued, and burnt out. These are the stories and interviews from people just like you to help find solutions to the systemic problems in our industry and bring more equity and justice to the rich diversity of life on our planet. We are shaking up the world of conservation through NOVA Conversations. Back in this episode, I talk with Mario Shimbov. He is also working with us here at Nova Conservation as a partnerships coordinator and helping us spread the word about some of our missions and values. And we are just so grateful for him. I love this interview. I love talking to Mario. He's so genuine. He's multi-talented. With his photography and biological skills and bringing joy to everything he does. Um, We cover such a wide range of topics from travels to career advice. We talk about COVID. We cover everything and it's so great. I had fun re-listening to this. I do want to recognize our talk about traveling and we recognize our privilege, I guess. And I know Mario wouldn't mind sharing this, but Constantly in this episode, I refer to being able to travel for biology. And we recognize that that is a privilege not everyone has. How Mario and I, we both talk about seeing wildlife up close and personal on these trips, make us want to protect it and conserve it more. So the question then I'm asking is how? How do we? get more people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic status, statuses, all perspectives, everything. How do we get everyone to experience nature and provide their unique perspective to the fight towards conservation because it really does take those hands-on initiatives, those hands-on projects that I think it shifts something clicks inside you and you want to protect nature perhaps like you never have before so we want to make those types of experiences available to all people and that's one of the goals here at Nova Conservation we just recognize the privilege to be able to travel and we wish that more people could experience nature in these ways as well also this interview was recorded on May 20th 2021 and I just also have to add that i am not an experienced interviewer i am kind of cringing listening to it as i replay it but um, i'm getting better we're all growing and learning and it's a very humbling experience for me so here is my interview with mario Shimbov. Okay, okay welcome back to nova conversations i know i'm gonna keep saying that wrong um because my organization is Nova Conservation, and these are Nova Conversations, <laughs>
1: so right. I'm
0: still working on that. This is Mario Shimbo. Um, did I pronounce your last name right? I didn't even... Shimbaud.
1: Yes, Shimbo. You got it right. Okay. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mario, you are a herpetologist, you've worked with Operation Volacea. Um, tell us a little bit about your background in fieldwork, in biology, in conservation industry, what you do, and how you came to be part of Nova Conservation.
1: Sure, yes. Oh, firstly, thanks for having me here today. Oh, thank uh, it's, you. It's a great ple- pleasure to, to 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 be part of this uh, New initiative of Nova Conservation and have a little bit of a, a conversation uh, on what uh, what we're doing. So yes, I am I am a herpetologist, but actually uh, I'm not just herpetologist. This is just one of the things that I am really involved with doing, and I am sort of wearing a few different hats all the time, and it kind of it quite suits me actually. So to begin with, I I began my my university degree here uh, in Cambridge. I studied zoology. And, uh, meanwhile, uh, my degree, I decided to join the local herpetological group, which allowed me to focus on field experience. And later on in the years, I, um, I became part of their committee and, uh, their officers. So I was elected as their secretary and later in the years, I then uh, became their uh, communications officer so now i'm currently uh sort of operating uh within full capacity in cambridge on behalf of CPAC, which stands for cambridgeshire and peterborough amphibian and reptile group it's basically a uh, uh, it's under the umbrella of uh, the amphibian reptile group uk um which um, operates uh, all, all across the, uh, the country uh, with various different smaller uh, sort of uh, entities where uh, those those groups uh, concentrate on counties so we are concentrated in in cambridgeshire in the county of cambridgeshire and peterborough so the the county north north of uh, cambridge and, and can i ask yeah. a
0: quick question about that what are the like research goals and mission for sea park
1: so ideally, uh, we have uh, our pillars are based on habitat restoration, uh, species conservation, and education. Uh, we uh, aim to achieve those goals by uh, outreach events, uh, by uh, work parties, uh, by thought patrols, which uh, I can mas- mention a little bit later on, okay. uh, and, and many other and many other sort of activities uh, within this realm of conservation.
0: Did you say work parties?
1: Yeah, work parties. Well, I refer to work parties as, uh, per se, this weekend, I'll be leading a workshop where uh, a group of volunteers are interested in learning more about how to survey amphibians. And I'll be taking them out uh, to look at, uh, well, different signs of amphibians. Uh, I'll be teaching them survey techniques uh, up to protocols as well as just uh, sort of like basic uh, ideas of where they can find amphibians what they're looking for how to identify different species and so on and so forth but uh, yeah work parties also involved um what i mentioned earlier habitat restoration projects, and that's everything to per se uh restore a small pond or create uh an, an entirely new habitat for for amphibians or reptiles that might include uh any refugia or um, uh, Hibernaculum, or as I said, like uh, small or big ponds or places where they can um, well re- recite over winter, etc.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. First of all, I have two comments on that. First of all, work parties just sounds awesome. Like, I've never heard that term being used to describe
1: i actually yeah i know what you mean because the first time i heard about of this term was when i when i came here to the uk and i was like a work party what do you guys mean and we're like well it's not a party but because we are working all together and we call it as a work party therefore i mean we do we do have our lunch together we will have a couple of break for a cup of tea and uh just some random chats about things uh things what we do and what the different members of the group are doing because uh our volunteers uh, are coming from different backgrounds, as well as professional and, and personal. So it's very interesting to learn uh, people's experiences and point of view of why they are actually involved with uh, amphibian and reptile conservation, really.
0: Okay. Okay. And your second question. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, so yeah, so it's like a, a just a get to know you gathering while you're also learning and teaching about citizen and community science. And yeah, I just love the way that's phrased. My second question is, I'm trying to be mindful of people who might not have a biology background. So what and also because I don't know everything either. What's a hibernaculum?
1: Okay, well, this is uh, a place where um, usually, usually, uh, wintering amphibians or reptiles or any other animals, uh, such as small mammals, can reside in. So they would they would hide there during the winter months uh, where they would hibernate. That's, therefore that's the reason why it's called hibernaculum. So it's it's related to their uh, wintering stages when they're inactive in in a dormant state and uh they can be somewhere where it's a little bit warmer so the temperature because it's created in a way where it's uh dug um it's dug uh, uh below the soil a little bit and mm. it, then on top it's created a uh, sort of it's this insulation where um obviously it retains heat over period over a longer periods of time therefore uh it's it's the perfect is the perfect habitat for any any well small mammals uh, amphibians reptiles to reside we have actually found um grass snakes laying eggs within those hibernaculum so they're also a great place for for for, for animals to 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 reproduce and to actually lay their uh, offspring
0: wow oh that's so mm. cool yeah i've heard of hibernaculum in the sense of bats and caves but i've never heard of it in mm. in just a, a area that Yes, yeah. an overwintering habitat Huh. That's
1: mm-hmm. yeah those are those are created yeah it's 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 very interesting to look at and uh, i i've now i'm sort of like mastering my skills on how to how to create those I've, i i have a few uh, uh a few on like just personal which i have personally done which is it's very exciting actually and to, to learn how to exact exactly layer the different uh the different levels of the hibernaculum is also pretty cool.
0: Oh, wow. So, okay, so that's part of the habitat restoration is you're actually creating Absolutely. spaces. spaces. That's right. Very cool. Okay. So
1: yeah.
0: Cool. So, okay, <laughs> and, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> you first.
0: So I wanted to ask about OpWAL, Operation Wallacea too, just because, I mean, because Nova Conservation... We we want get to get people involved in community science and citizen science and however they can and you are clearly very involved, but specifically dealing with trips that have conservation research focuses. Fo- foci?
1: foci. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, well, okay. I I became part of I became a member of OPWO, Operation Wallace, uh, named after the great naturalist Alfred the Russell Wallace. Uh, I, I joined them back in 2016. Between my first and second year of university, I decided to um, oh, to participate in a research expedition uh, over my over the summer period, which uh, was um, which was entirely terrestrial. It was based in Central America, in Honduras, and more specifically in the northwestern parts of Honduras, in a place called Cusuco National Park. An incredible biodiversity-rich uh, and uh, rich on endemism uh, habitat, which you can read more in my uh, blog post, which I wrote uh, recently and is posted on Nova Conservation's website. Yes. If you want to check that out, uh, yes,
0: mm-hmm. please go to that and read more about that because I loved reading your story. And what really quick, Thank what you. is endemism for someone who does not um oh, might not uh, be familiar with that term?
1: Right, so. Uh, Endemic species are species which are found uh, specifically within a habitat uh, that might be uh, either a terrestrial, aquatic or aquatic habitat. And they are usually uh, very specifically adapted to those habitats and they have a very uh, niche, um, well, requirements to survive within this specific uh, area or habitat. Therefore, uh, it's very important to, to 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 conserve these and protect these species, due to the fact that they they are not so broadly uh, found within a biome, and Mm -hmm. it's uh, difficult for them to adapt in well to occupy new niches and new places. Uh, So yeah, this is the reason, and this is what basically uh, this is what basically endemism stands for. Yes, yeah. And back to your, back to your, back to answering your uh, first question about Hopewell. Yes, after I joined them in 2016 and on my return um, uh, of the expedition, I was extremely, uh, well, I was honestly, it was a dream come true of mine uh, where I've managed to uh, achieve this tiny step to become part of a research uh, which involves uh, scientists from all over the world, people who are specialists in their fields, and it's extremely motivational, very uh, upbringing, and just it—it um, it really sort of showed me what I want to do. It—it it was a, a sort of one of those moments of realization of where I want to sort of uh, continue my career development, and therefore I decided to during my second year of university, I decided to join Oppo as a group leader. So I applied for the group leader position, and that involved um, basically um, liaising the connection between the university institution, the students studying within Anglia Ruskin, and uh, the NGO, in this case, OpWol. So I was the middleman between between the institution and the uh, organization, where I had to not just communicate with uh, both students and and uh, the the officers but uh i was i was presenting me i was uh organizing presentations i was making sure that everything runs smoothly when it comes to people actually signing it for signing up for any trips etc and uh, that did generate some uh some income and uh, later in 2019 i decided to to go on another expedition this time uh, on the other side of the world i went to southeast asia and more specifically indonesia and that was again <laughs> it was uh yeah otherworldly it was amazing um a place where i have only dreamt of uh, stepping a foot and I, I was finally there and seeing everything firsthand was uh well, really Astonishing! So I, I I was happy to this time join not, not just the terrestrial side of the expedition, but also I did the marine bit, uh, which involved uh, diving, scuba diving, and I learned I finally after 20 uh well, 24 years of uh, being on this planet, I finally learned how to scuba dive, and it was uh, yeah it really changed nice. my my perspective on how i i was seeing uh, well the seas the ocean in general and uh, i acquired my open body open water then on my return to back to to uh, the uk i decided to continue and advance uh with the next level of certification and yeah i really um i was hoping that i will continue with opal uh sort of doing some other uh, project management. Uh, perhaps project management or uh, other expeditions in future. But with how the whole global pandemic developed, uh, that was ceased. And basically, that's where my f- official story with Opal sort of um, was put on pause.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, the pandemic has put lots of things on pause. And mm. I hate that for you and for all of us who want to travel so badly. And I think it's resuming slowly but surely but it still is uh, a bit of a challenge. I forgot to ask at the beginning, I'm trying to ask everyone at the beginning of an episode, I wanna hear your favorite field story. And I think I might know what yours is, but I, I would like to hear it from you. like. Um, if you were at a party and someone said, oh, you're a biologist, tell me your favorite story. Now's your platform to share that.
1: What's your favorite that's, field story? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> one that I haven't, I, I don't think that often of, I don't know for what reason, probably because I'm not being asked this question at parties. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> making all people ask me, ask me this question at parties, I would love to answer it. But uh, yes, coming to think of it, uh, probably one of uh let's let's see i i will probably skip the one that i have written about in okay. the nova conservation blog post because uh-huh. that would be boring and i would bring something else uh, i don't think it
0: would you... be boring you could even share yeah. both
1: if you want uh probably uh but yeah <laughs> perhaps uh that uh, that time when i i i, I was uh, exposed to well really seeing how to hunt well hunt i say hunt but it's more like how to capture uh, in order for us to be able to, to do some data collection on the Honduran Pound Pit Viper, which in this case, you can probably see it just there behind me in that photo. It's a, oh the mass, about about meter and a half uh, male individual, which, uh, which for me was something that I have only read about and seen in documentaries, like natural history documentaries and the encyclopedias and books. And I was... I was uh, so we were walking down this long transect in uh, in the highlands of Puyuhuapi National Park, and it was just me, the the senior hepatologist uh, Tom Brown, and um, and one of our local guides. And, uh, yeah, I was very enthusiastic. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have only seen like some small individuals of this snake in, uh, the days prior to, to this specific survey. It was like, hopefully we'll see, uh, a, a big, a big individual today. And, and literally we were sort of giving up. And as we were passing by this, um, uh, massive tree, which, which had fell down and we, 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 we uh, walk across it at the end of this tree, there was this, uh, there was this snake which were which was coiled up uh, nicely and and we yeah we we, we took some we took some uh, data samples uh, we measured it and and rest of it and then we took started taking some pictures and i was i was truly really blown away by the beauty of this snake and i know that snakes don't usually appeal to people and probably for many reasons they are they're portrayed as those evil serpents which would chase you down in your nightmares but they really are not and i mean they do deserve a place on this planet, just like any other organism. And I believe that they do, uh, well, they do a a great sort of um, service for killing a lot of animals, which we don't usually consider uh, to to sort of to to be a problem, but they actually are, such as, uh, well, small mammals, mainly rodents, uh, especially for farmers, uh, are are a big problem. And they can be a disease carrier as well. Uh, so I think having having in mind uh, and sort of uh, highlighting the importance of such uh, animals is important because uh, I, I I appreciate uh, a whale or a, a lion as much as I appreciate uh, something like a pound, green palm pit viper or or an arachnid of this like a whip, a whip uh, spider or what whatever. Um, but yeah, really uh, there there are so many. Uh, speaking about the the whip scorpion, which is just behind me. That's another another very cool field, field story where I assumed that uh, this female um, arachnid was carrying um, her brood on the back. Instead, uh, later on, after doing some research, I found out that um, she was being uh, parasitized by a fly, which would lay those eggs that grow on her abdomen and later on pupate. And that's a bit gross, but yeah, they would eat the animal from inside out. And it's just, I was like, wow, that's again, something that might come from a science fiction, but it's actually here and it's a living being.
0: Oh, yeah. What is that called? Like a parasitoidism or something like that?
1: Yes, that's right
0: so gross yeah and we'll link the blog and um pictures that mario has actually taken um so if you're listening to the podcast you can you'll we'll link those in our show notes um but he's you you took those pictures that are on our blog and on your instagram so say again the name of the species we have the um, that's
1: right so the green the, the green snake is called the honduran pound pit viper
0: okay honduran pound pit viper
1: okay Yes, and I am not 100% sure of the exact species name. Well, I'm giving the common name. It's sure. uh, it's uh, Botryachis marchi. if I'm pronouncing Botryachis marchi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. That's for the snake. And then the arachnid, it's uh, an, a species a, of an amblypidget. I'm not sure uh, to the exact species level name, but uh, yes, it's a, it's a whip scorpion.
0: So you saw babies or you saw eggs on the whip scorpion's back?
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. On the dorsal side, on the top side of the abdomen of this uh, whip scorpion, there were like a small, a little, uh, well, yeah, pupas, the actual larvae, which, uh, which would later on develop. And yeah, they would emerge.
0: Oh yeah. so <laughs>
1: Pretty cool stuff. But as you said, yes, I've been, I've been using my photography skills, uh, actually yes it was due to this first expedition back in 2016 uh, when uh pre- a few months prior to it i purchased my first uh camera dslr camera i started i uh, started learning uh how to actually take uh, photos and use any uh, like manual settings in order for me to become better within the years and of course it, it's uh, it's a steep learning curve but it's very enjoyable i i really enjoy it and uh, it's uh, it's a great tool to showcase people the natural beauty sure. and, in, and often things that uh, people might not see you're seeing them through the lens being able to capture the moment and then uh, later on short it's, it's i think it's very it, it leads strong strong messages because it's not just something that you can hear but it's a visual thing and you, we, us humans are really associating things visually so i think it's very important
0: Yes. And you, yeah, I mean, I'm blown away because you're talented as a biologist, but also as a photographer, like your pictures are phenomenal.
1: So <laughs> thank you. No, that's multi, very kind.
0: Multi-skilled, multi-skilled Mario. Um,
1: I, try. <laughs> I try to sort of uh, branch out as much as possible and uh well see what really uh, interests me, what inspires me, what makes me happy, what brings joy uh, yeah. and what, what brings money as well. Photography, For people who are listening, doesn't bring a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. In order for you to be a good photographer, to actually, I don't know what a good or a bad photographer is, but to be earning out of photography, you need to really be uh, in, yeah, you have to invest a lot of time, money, effort, years. I believe it's, again, just like with anything else, it's networking, the people you know, and really how you sell yourself so i'm really i'm still in the very amateur stage of um of my photography sort of uh journey but i'm sure that one day i might write a book and uh and 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 in in this specific book i will include lots of photos some of them old, some of them (laughs) yeah
0: what a great goal that's that's an amazing um vision to have you want to write a book so okay let me ask about the money situation so we kind of know, I I would expect, you know, if you get into photography or if you get into something like writing or, or artistry, um, a painter, that um, those are creative avenues. So you you do know like money is a hard thing to come by. You have to work really, really hard. You have to put yourself out there a lot. You have to produce a lot of content or you have to sacrifice and just make art for, for the beauty because you love the art and give up the money side. As a biologist and I don't know if you can relate to this but one thing I was blown away with was how similar biology is because you know you're told you get a science degree and you'll be set you'll you'll have no problem finding a job and that's true in many cases because as scientists we can translate our skills to chemistry and um lab work and research um the boring stuff but to do field research work is very is almost a passion driven job. Um, I don't know if you encountered that. I'm just surprised by how many people go into biology thinking we're going to work in the field. I thought that too. I can work in the field, but then you get paid next to nothing. And it's like, oh, I have to choose. Do I want to do this because I love it and I'm passionate about it, even though the money isn't there? Or do I want to do something else? Have you experienced that?
1: Yes, yes, to an, to an extent I have, uh, and I know what you mean when you say oh, um because i did I did have the vision of me graduating and sort of diving fully within a uh, fully in a sector where I'm going to be paid well and I'm going to be carving this uh extremely linear career in science. It's not really this way it's uh and I believe people listening would also relate to whichever sort of field you work within. It's you have to work your way up, and yeah. um, yes, I I I don't remember really having the vision of becoming a field biologist and like more specific uh, sort of like conservation biologist. When I first started zool- my zoological degree, mm-hmm. I did uh, I did have strong interest uh, spending time outdoors and in data collection, but uh, not necessarily knowing um, the niche that I want to work in so i think to to be specific and know your niche is very important that helps you navigate easier within this uh, sort of within the sector and the, the whole conservation realm as as i like someone sometimes name it but um yes it's a, it's a mix of uh of hard work lots of dedication uh networking knowing the right people and constantly willing to know new people and exchange ideas uh Uh, pitch yourself really especially right now in the past few years I've come to the realization of how important it is to know how to sell yourself As as bad as it might sound selling yourself actually it's important for you to perhaps to stand opposite someone with uh, years of experience and know in within within like 30 seconds to a minute know how to explain what you do why do you do it and what's your sort of like end goal or even if not end goal at least what are the results that you want to achieve by doing something so what you said earlier for example I have had also lab-based experience and I know that sometimes that might be classified as boring but there really is nothing that's boring unless you find it boring. So uh, I think it's sort of like I'm trying to diversify within different things. And if people do read the, the blog post, they'll they'll learn that I I have background in in corporate jobs in sales. I have uh, I'm really good in well convincing people to buy stuff. So <laughs> I've been using those skills and I've been honing uh, those skills, knowing how to really. Work on them in order for me to to be able to well uh, pay my bills because corporate jobs are well paid and usually usually life sciences jobs aren't and well sciences jobs I don't know uh, but specifically uh, within the sector that I am uh, aiming to work full time things aren't as easily achieved uh, specifically due to the fact that competition it's only growing especially in recent years uh, as as opportunities grow. So does competition, but probably twice as fast as opportunities coming out mm. in this field. So I, I think it's very important for people to, well, to to think outside of the box, and if something does not work out, to make sure to to open up different doors and to try different things to see what else they might be good at. Uh, I specifically can say that I'm not extremely like good at well sitting on a desk once small spot uh, for a continuous amount of hours. Um, I have definitely uh, done better in this past year since COVID hit because I've been self-employed and really working hard on different skills in order for me to be able to provide for myself and sort of, uh, well, run right. the long run. But right. uh, I'm, I'm also sort of like job hunting for a full-time position within the sector in order for me to be able to say, okay, I just want to drop this, weight off my shoulders because i thought that self-employment is fun actually it's not it's a lot of hard work and you yeah. work overtime and it's not really usually paid or even if it's paid it's paid like on a minimum wage it's just like it's just uh something that i was not expecting when i was reading about people's sort of um and en- entrepreneurships and well people's enthusiasm to be self-employed uh now being almost a year within this sector, well within this sort of uh area of, I I think it's I'm I'm seeing the pros and cons a little bit clearer and I know that uh I would like to change as soon as possible and I am working towards that. But yeah, I mean there there isn't really a shortcut towards uh towards achieving this long term goal really. So I believe it's it's an it's a multitude of different different aspects.
0: Oh, there was a lot you just said in there. That was really good. <sighs> Um, I mean, from career advice and like talking and encouraging people to create their own personal brand. Um the the side of like, well, we're all kind of stuck at the computer. So
1: <laughs> I mean right. it's
0: hard to travel right now and and um as much as we all want to get out in the field, that's those opportunities are limited and the competition is fierce.
1: 100%. And as you said, traveling, I I was sort of hopeful that now with the vaccines being in place and sort of uh, governments telling us that uh, things would ease and we'll be able to travel again, I'm seeing that different countries and even different continents are acting on a completely different scale and uh, sort of like how they would uh, alleviate this problem. So, for example, from friends living in the States, I'm hearing that it's fairly sort of, depending on like statewide, it's fairly free to travel and to, to do gatherings, et cetera. Here in Europe, it's a completely different story than in Asia. And I mean, the, yeah. it depends where you are and what, what you want to do. I was hoping that I would be uh, going on a uh, an internship with, um, with the Utila Dye Center on the island of Yucatán uh, mm. in Honduras in the beginning of this year for me to to continue furthering my study certification to rescue and then a dive master. Clearly, this, this did not happen, and I was like, okay, do you know what? Just forget about all the traveling. Concentrate on what's just here, like what's uh available on a local scale exactly breathe and just (laughs) think about how you can achieve your goals from from, well not a smaller scale but the local scale so I I literally decided to say well not no to traveling but I'm like ah, just trying not to look in any any opportunities abroad Mm -hmm. and really just invest my time and energy in projects here so I'm currently a project coordinator for a small uh, initiative, which starts uh, very soon. Actually, this weekend, we'll be laying our first uh, felt, which are quadrants, 50 by 50 quadrants. Uh, we lay them in places where we'll be looking at if there is any reptile presence. What uh, reptiles do, they would, e- you either hide above, well, not hide above, ha- hide below, or stand above basking uh, on this object. Uh-huh. Therefore, we'll be uh, seeing if there is any activity, uh, try to estimate any numbers, and hopefully involve people, usually uh, friends, because most of the uh, either parks or burial grounds have friends groups, so we may make sure to involve the, the community, and it's it's a very, very nice sort of community-led science uh People learning about what's uh, on their doorstep, about the wildlife, and and just nature, really spending time in nature, making sure that uh, they contribute to little things which uh, paint a bigger picture, really.
0: Oh, that's so great! I love that. That's awesome. Mm. I love that you're um, intentionally focused on uh, your local efforts. Um, there's something so beautiful to be said about that. Like just being like, what is the saying? Root where root where you're planted or grow where you're planted. I mean, I I want to travel the world and see all the places, but there's something beautiful about being set in one spot and really getting to know and help and love and serve the ecosystem here locally. Um, and you're doing that and you're making the best of a horrible situation and the global pandemic instead of whining about it and, um, you know, not doing anything, you're Mm. doing what you can do where you are. Mm. And that's really awesome. That is so awesome.
1: Yes, I I agree. I agree. Because earlier, earlier last year, once the pandemic hit Europe, I was, uh, I was like, Oh, my gosh, what do I do? I I did start panicking. I did. uh, I wasn't sure what do I want to do? How I want to achieve it? uh, Which direction should I now take on? And, yeah, we didn't half a year or so after me sort of giving up on stress stressing anymore, I decided to, yeah concentrate my energy efforts and time uh, on things uh, here locally. And what you say is it is very important uh, to, to know what you want really um mm-hmm. sometimes it's not very clear that's why you have to try different things but um i also even nowadays i sometimes am asking myself oh my gosh am i having enough of an impact am i contributing to to this whole biodiversity loss climate change enough am i doing enough am i using the my full potential my my talents to, to the utmost uh well i think I am. Sometimes I do have down uh, like days where I'm not feeling like, oh, up and like flying. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that it's important for people to realize that you don't have to necessarily work on a high profile project, saving mm. the last rhino or, I don't know, uh, working on a coral reef. Uh, those are just as important. I'm not saying they are not important. What I'm trying to say is that every, every single piece of nature matters and yes. well. And it doesn't matter if it's like in Cambridge or in Kenya, you can still contribute to conservation by doing something that is important for this specific time and place. Right. So yeah, I was like, you know what? Well, Cambridge it is then. I will be here on the flatland mm-hmm. of Cambridge. And yes, I, I'm, I'm loving it. As much as sometimes I do miss the mountains and I do miss diving and snorkeling. and. Uh, yes, as boring as the landscape around me might, might look, uh, mm-hmm. it's important to see beauty in all. And yeah, I'm trying to sort of, I'm trying to work on this. And again, it's, it's, it doesn't work every day. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm doing enough. But at the end of the day, speaking with people like yourself, like-minded individuals who really are dedicating their lives towards nature conservation. And I do say nature conservation, but as much as it's nature, always us because we are nature, we're one. And if we are doing it for us. We're doing it for humanity. That's why I really want to emphasize on the fact that uh, people should not point fingers that you're not doing enough, you're mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. too much or no, every every little bit contributes to this bigger picture. And combining the pieces of the puzzle will eventually bring something much better than what we have actually an- anticipated for.
0: Yeah. That's so well said. Oh my gosh. I, 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 part of me is like, end it here. But I did want to ask, um, I wanted to bring up one part of your um, blog, which kind of ties into what we've been talking about. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to get this depth of, um, yeah, like humility from you. So thank you for that. This is great. Um, I'm going to just read it from the blog because I have it pulled up we are sure. talking about field work and travels. Early in my career, I quickly realized the mentical and mentical, oh my gosh, mental and physical challenges of field work. The idealistic vision of working with wild animals and living in beautiful, remote places quickly evaporates upon returning from a strenuous energy-depleting re- research expedition. Acknowledging this, I began adapting science communication, data analysis, public outreach and public outreach as my forte instead of scouring the internet for field expeditions and i i wanted to talk about that particular sentence because i think i resonated with that like i want Mm. to do field work and i want to travel to these incredible places yet they are they're time consuming they're strenuous are they going to provide the most research or is it more just me wanting to travel and experience these things and then you sound like you've you've come to this place where you're like, okay, I can do my science communication online instead of just constantly searching, constantly striving to have all these field expeditions. Yeah. I, so just talk about that. And you have been a little bit, but where you are now, what's your personal brand? Um, so that when someone possibly listens to this podcast, they could be like, oh, I want to hire Mario for <laughs> this great position I have. So um, as we are wrapping up, cause I want to be respectful of your time too. So yeah. What do you
1: think? Uh, Well, I I I think some some of the aspects of this specific question I have already spoken about. I've mentioned in in just in the past few uh, uh, questions. But yes, um, I think the vision of a field biologist it comes down to this adventurous person chasing whatever animal might be to catch it and to show it on camera and be like, yeah, look what I caught and do the data recording, whatever. Uh, And that definitely channels down to my earlier childhood memories where I would sit in front of Animal Planet and look, watching uh, Steve Irwin or I don't know, Discovery or National Geographic and seeing David Attenborough and like, Yes, Silvio and many other people who have inspired me to become who I am and to continue my well professional and personal development really. Uh, but coming to uh, 2021, I'm realizing the importance of uh, of the of digital conservation. I'm I'm realizing the importance of this virtual world. As much as I, I don't want want to use the word hated because I don't hate things, it's too strong. As much as I dislike the the digital side of things, the fact that we're constantly staring at screens, would that be your smartphone, laptop, PC, uh, TV, whatever. It's just too many screens and not enough, like just looking around and being curious and learning things by doing things. I'm very, I'm, I'm associating things usually in a very sort of physical way, if I can say that. So I, I, I like being proactive and actively engaged in things, whereas being behind the screen typing on a keyboard probably is not the most active thing at all. But I'm realizing how important it actually is in the world that we live in and how things are developing. And the the crucial sort of uh, line where, where we have to draw and realize that we can still contribute to conservation or to education or to research by exactly sitting on our laptops and working uh, within different projects or that data analysis or what we're doing at Nova Conservation, developing this amazing platform for young people, for older people, for whoever wants to join or be part of a conservation journey uh, or a specific project so uh yes i think it's very it's it's important to acknowledge the uh the way we like we are developing in today's world uh, it's important to know how to use those technologies because at the end of the day as destructive as they might look and be they actually are a great tool which we can facilitate in the right direction and in order to do so we have to really know how to work on them with them so yeah, I think it's important for for us to to just uh, develop those other skills and for me personally i'm obviously I wasn't brought uh, with a TV and a tablet in my hand, <laughs> so it was it was really like those things became a little bit later in my in the uh, in, in years as a, as a kid. so I was always spending time outdoors. I was constantly just chasing things out and like, yeah, (laughs) really having fun. Uh, I'm originally from Bulgaria. For people that might not be familiar with Bulgaria, it's a very sort of countryside-looking country. So we have a a great amount of uh, undisturbed primary forest if I can say undisturbed primary because nowadays it's very difficult to draw the line and say what's undisturbed and what's primary. but yeah, basically uh, um, the landscape is they, is very diverse. so my parents were constantly sort of making sure that we are exposed to, to those natural elements if 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 you if you wish uh, and I, I I had the privilege to spend uh, the incredible amount of time uh, outdoors and really learning about nature and seeing how nature tries or how it might diminish if we don't take care of it or if we don't really take care of ourselves because at the end of the day, it does channel down to us. And um, yeah, later on in the years, uh, I, I started seeing the benefits of the of technology, of the virtual digital world. So I'm now clearly full, full on sort of learning those new skills and trying to implement them within my, within my work and what I do. That's incredible. i'm not sure if i'm answering your question i answered your question and you is the answer that you wanted to hear but really that's the i, I cannot just uh, i'm I realize that i cannot divide field work and uh mm-hmm. let's say data analysis or writing up a blog posts or anything that might do with sort of the the virtual world the digital world so yeah what
0: do you mean by that you can't divide
1: well, it I, I because yes because I, I i can divide it in a way that i am I think they both both are important. You cannot. I, I personally, uh, and as much as I love spending time in the field, I now have to. After our conversation, I have to sit down and do a little bit of a data, like some data analysis, in order for us to be able to create the report, which uh, we can add to this atlas we are now uh, putting up together. So, it's it's yeah, it's a constant. It's a constant sort of um, evolving. You're you're trying to build mm-hmm. on, uh, building up new skills and uh, yeah, trying to you gotta be better in what you do.
0: Yeah, it's like field work is the fun stuff. That's the best part, you know, you get to be outside, but then it also comes with this, um, if you want to make the lasting impact, instead of just going out and taking pictures of species and measuring them, you have mm-hmm. to do data entry, you have to run the analysis, you have to publish the papers, you have to write That's scientific right. communication. So it's That's all, it does, yeah, it, it all but- goes in together. <laughs>
1: I like how you say that field work is the fun part. Uh, mm-hmm. for, many, for many, it might not be. I have seen lots of students and like, well, lots of scientists who are not really enjoying the field work, the field part of the work due to the fact that it's usually, well, very sort of, uh, well, physically involving, uh, and you have to really think on the spot and be innovative and make sure to... Know how to interpret certain things without really having the book in your hand or Google right. uh, straight away to answer your question. You have to know what you're looking for, and you have to be adaptable, really, uh, and not and not to be moaning I guess. <laughs> but yeah, uh, everyone finds their 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 perfect spot, their pond, as I sometimes like <laughs> to say. We have a, we have a saying in Bulgaria, which would probably sound very wrong in in English, but it's each frog has to know its pond. So it's basically like each person has to know they, what really makes them happy, what drives them uh, out of bed in the morning.
0: And it all comes back to this kind of more holistic spiritual side of knowing yourself and knowing what you're good at and what you can do. And that's, and that's actually an interesting point too. That's why I started this podcast is because I know myself and I know that I am not a good number cruncher data person. I don't enjoy that as much the science aspect of that, Mm. the aspect of science where you just publish and do all this, but I love people and I love stories and I love hearing the reality of all this work in the field and, all this work in conservation and not getting paid and the struggles and the ups and downs and um, where you think field work is one thing and then it ends up being really, really challenging and really difficult and how to stay positive and how to know yourself well enough to deal with that or get out of it and do something else that can contribute to the planet. Because it, for me, it's the fun part for you. It's the fun part, but you're right. For a lot of people, they get in there and think this is gonna be great. I'm gonna be snorkeling with brightly colored tropical fish, but not know all the challenges and this the other parts of
1: field work. So absolutely. That's and, why you try. And that's yeah. why you try. And if it doesn't work, you change. You adapt when you think. So yeah, absolutely.
0: You adapt and evolve like a and <laughs> like as any species, like biology.
1: Really? Yes, that's right.
0: Well, that's really cool. Mario, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for taking your time to share your story and to inspire. I've been inspired. Um, I'm sure whoever oh. listening to this <laughs> is, is like, wow, I I feel like a light. I don't know, like a, you've been really inspirational. So thank you.
1: I, That's super kind.
0: I look forward to hearing where you go next on your journey. Um, and I hope you'll stay with us at NOVA because um, you're just great. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up?
1: I, I, I'm not sure that I have anything on top of my head. I also wanted to just say that education is a key. So please people be educated, make yourself aware of new things. I'm constantly learning about new things, new aspects of life, if you wish. Just, uh, it's really important to, to be, Educated, because at the end of the day you are well we are we are constraining ourselves by what we received as as information from social media outlets Mm -hmm. or any other any other outlet which is out there nowadays so just yeah question things don't don't assume that everything you read or see is true question things and make sure you're just curious about life but, yeah, I don't have anything really else to add at the moment. And I, I can see it's already 5 p.m., so I think I should jump off at my other laptop behind me and continue working. So I, I'm i really grateful for being, for being here with you today. Thanks again for the invitation and for holding this interview. And I wish you, well, the best of luck. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing our great mission with uh, Nova Conservation.
0: Mario, thank you so much for everything. It was great talking with you. Have a great evening.
1: And you too. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Oh, I just love that talk. Mario is so inspiring and humble. And I love, as conservationists, how we can work together to make the planet better. Even if it's a small thing, even if it's where you are during COVID, if you can't do big things, you can do something small. And we can all work together to make this planet better. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be encouraged, be inspired, let us know what you thought of this episode, and as always, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash novaconservation. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening, and remember, ethical conservation needs and deserves funds so that passionate people like you can get paid what they're worth. There's enough money to go around. Let's go get it and use it for the good of our planet.